Turns out we're bringing Denny's to Austria because Verstappen just got himself a grand slam. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Really glad the Americans approved of that intro. Like I got nods from everybody else on it. I'll take that. I'll take the subtle approval. <laughs> I hate being the only British guy here these days. <laughs> I'm Dre Harrison. Welcome to episode 312 of Motorsport 101. Um, wow, uh, that was a, a newsworthy Austrian Grand Prix, to say the least. And uh, I wouldn't say it was the most riveting race in the world, but uh, there was a lot to take away from it, certainly. And that's kind of what makes this podcast all the more beautiful in that sense. So we'll be talking all about the Austrian Grand Prix. And we'll also be talking a little bit of IndyCar in their last race before their summer vacation at Mid Ohio, because finally, after. Almost a month of perspiration, pole positions, and inevitable disappointment. Some guy called Joseph returned to the winner's circle. I think that's had a number on one of our, uh, our show hosts, and clearly, King is going through it. Um, <laughs> isn't that right, King? Oh, oh, I'm going through it. I thought it was. I thought it was the uh, the person who the the Tennessee native. I didn't know Cam moved. <laughs> 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 no, no, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just here, you know, watching Pagano not really drive hard enough and finish 13th every weekend. It's, uh, it's a thing. It's a, it's a trip. Yeah. But how you doing, otherwise, King? Uh, do, doing well. Uh, spending my weekday mornings watching, uh, La Tour de France and, mm. uh, th- things, it's things. Yeah, re- real good tour. Dude who we thought was uh, gonna retire is somehow the fastest guy in the sprints. Who who would have guessed? All you have to do is just have some really... A spectator who's clearly not thinking straight. <laughs> cause the big one on the first stage. And yep. then after all the dust settles down... Eventually, we get some pretty intriguing storylines out of Latour. It's just like being an F1 fan. It's just like, it's a bit of a mess to start off with. We get through it, and then we all figure everything else out. We'll get there in the end. It's fine. Um, I never actually watched the Tour de France before, and I've actually been watching it as King streams it on our Discord. Um, it's been great. Very much yeah. enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I'm becoming a new cycling fan very, very slowly. Absolutely. We're also, we also very blessed with Eurosports coverage here in the UK, which is very, very good. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's it's been thumbs up from me all around on that one. Yeah. It's, been, it's been great afternoon. Extra incentive to, to join well. our Discord community. Yeah. Ask we, anyone we, about we, Fernand We totally legally uh, sit in a circle and talk about sports. With a, with, with, with a video in the background. It just happens. We don't know how we got there. Um, also joining us, Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. You know, uh, you know, at the start of the season, uh, you know, before the first race, my, 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 my fellow podcast co-host called me a madman. They, uh, they didn't believe, they didn't believe me when I saw what I saw, but, uh, you know, Oh, you... For those that are listening on audio, that's a can of Red Bull that uh, Cam has just broken out from under his I might not sleep for 72 hours! (laughs) 
why did I have a bad feeling in the back of my head that breaking out the Admiral Akbar meme was a bad idea back in March? <laughs> Just, I'm not proud of myself right now. Um, <laughs> and now Cam is the smuggest podcast host of all of us. And I thought I was pretty bad last week. Uh, will you stop drinking Red Bull? <laughs> stop it, you heretic. You're not going to sleep for a week. Is <laughs> that is that twenty? Uh, is that that's a twenty ounce uh, can? Is that one hundred and eighty nine milligrams of caffeine? Ooh. So, what what we call an ambulance for Cam? Uh, RJ, how's it going up there? I I'm glad Ohio was good. Ohio was good. Me and my partner had a good time in Ohio watching the IndyCar race. We got to watch uh, what you described as the worst. Fight Club candidate of the year. <laughs> we got to watch that in person. Obviously, the IndyCar race is good. Thankful to everybody. Stadium Super Trucks delivers. What can I say? Uh, but then, and I know we're not going to talk about it like in any of our segments, but I do find it very jarring and weird. And I know I've talked about this a number of times, but like as international motorsports starts to realize that travel restrictions, COVID vaccination rates are getting too slow for flyaway events in places like Australia and Japan. We're going to, this episode's probably going to come out right around the time that the Summer Olympics are going to be rammed through under very similar social circumstances. I'm just like, damn, motorsport really doesn't mean shit in the grand scheme of things now, does it? Yep, not really. <sighs> Brother, we are the niches uh... of. Yeah, the niches of unimportant niches. <laughs> yeah, I, w- yeah, I wish we were bringing in trillions of dollars worth of revenue that that that, pe- that people could stand to lose if these events. Which, by the way, according to a recent poll, eighty percent of the Japanese public is against having the games right here and now. Eighty percent. This is not a good idea. Granted, good we're still going to watch this because we love the shit out of athletics, but, oh, yeah. you know, this is not a good commentary. This is not a good look for the IOC, it which is, is an is understatement of the year. History will look upon this very harshly. Mm-hmm. Hope, Good lord. I, I hope not, at least. I, 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 hope they, I hope they do look upon it harshly so we don't repeat the mistakes in the future. That's, Indeed. It's, it's, it's not see. We're, we're guaranteed to get this sometime later on down the decade. Yeah. I, guess, I said City Hub, everyone, because I know there's a lot of people flying out there now because uh, the game's starting in a couple of weeks' time. Stay safe out there, folks. Yeah. Do the best you can because, uh, boy, I, I do not envy anybody out there in that situation over in Tokyo because, uh, boy... Uh, yeah, seeing the Japanese Grand Prix get cancelled and uh, well, not cancelled, we, but we, we all kind of know. So the MotoGP Grand Prix is cancelled. Both the races yep. on Australia are off the table, and like people are yep. thinking, like best case scenario, we may not have another international motorsport event there until at best 2022, which quite frankly sucks. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we know. We we know Honda is going to do everything in their power to try and make the Japanese Grand Prix happen, whether it's behind closed doors or not. Whether that's the right thing to do, mm. yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's not ideal at all. Um, but uh, yeah, the, we might not get twenty three races in the end in F one. We are certainly not going to get twenty in MotoGP now. It's looking more like nineteen. Um, 
Um, we, we've got two races in Portimao coming instead. So the Algarve Grand Prix will take that slot over there in November, Track and it will, it, it, it's 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 a matter of time before the Japanese F1 gets can, F1 race gets cancelled as well. We know what's coming. We've got it on good word from people over there that it's not happening. Um, it's gonna it's just gonna be a matter of when it becomes official. So we'll have to wait and see. Oh, um, so talking uh, again, as mentioned on the podcast this week, we'll be talking the Austrian Grand Prix. We'll be talking the first career Grand Slam of one Max Verstappen as Red Bull took their fifth Grand Prix win in a row. Oh man, that sounds like 2013 flashbacks right there, doesn't it? It was a it was a simpler time. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about Lando Norris. We'll be talking a lot about Mercedes and their current situation, and half a page's worth of penalties um, because there was a lot going on in the second half of that Austrian race that we need to get through. And it was a messy one. We'll also be talking IndyCar in Mid-Ohio and Joseph Newgarden's return to the winner's circle as well. But first, um, unfortunately, we've got to report some sad news that just came through in the last couple of hours as we recorded this on July 7th. Um, RJ, sadly, uh, we, we, we have to remember uh, the tragic news that Carlos Reutemann passed away this afternoon. Yeah, Carlos Reutemann had been battling some pretty bad health issues uh, within the last month. He had a hemorrhage which had kept him in the hospital for well over a month. Uh, prior to that, he had been battling liver cancer back in 2017. Um, I believe it was late last night, early this morning, that he was in- inducted back into an intensive care unit. And then uh, just a couple hours before we went on the air on July 7th, 2021, we got the news from his daughter, Cora, that Carlos Reutemann has passed away at the age of 79. Um, you'll know him best from racing 11 seasons at F1 from 1972 to 82. Uh, still one of the most successful drivers who never won a world championship. Uh, his success in motorsport, he won two podiums in the World Rally Championship in Argentina. Um, obviously a beloved athlete back home. Um, to this day, still the last Argentine driver to win a Formula One Grand Prix picking up where the likes of Juan Manuel Fangio and Jose Froley and Gonzalez left off. And after 82, when he decided to retire from motorsport, he went into politics. He served two terms as the governor of his home district of Santa Fe. And then once his second term was up, he served in the National Senate from 2003 until his death um, earlier today. Um, His daughter, Cora, Cora Rodeman, uh, confirmed her father's passing on social media, saying that dad left in peace and dignity after fighting like a champion with a strong and noble heart that accompanied until him until the end. I am proud and blessed for the father that I had. I know he will accompany me every day of my life until we meet again in the house of the Lord. Um, I, and as I was going through, like, um, Reutemann's career accomplishments. I really truly feel like if you were to have a discussion of the greatest drivers from that era of the 1970s, one of the most romanticized eras of Formula One that we have, because it's right on the bleeding edge of speed and danger and so many larger than life figures that this sport had at that time. If you're to talk about the greatest drivers of that era and you make a list of the greatest drivers and it leaves off Carlos Reutemann, that list is incomplete because 
he accomplished more than what a lot of world champions were able to accomplish over his 11 years in the sport. Again, he is one of the very best who never won a world championship. Yeah, 12 wins, 1981 world championship runner-up. Um, one of those years that a lot of people mentioned 81 and the fact that Reutemann came so close to becoming a world champion. Uh, and yeah, one of the F1 greats. Uh, thoughts, condolences, all of Carlos's loved ones. After this, let's get the housekeeping out of the way real quick before we get into the rest of the show. Quicker places you can find us are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 or on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, we're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101 and we're on Instagram at motorsport101pod. If you want to follow our personal Twitter handles, you can on the screen. If you're not listening on via YouTube, you can at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at Buckley 917 We've got all our other stuff on the website, motorsport101.com. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to all of the audio versions of the show. You can upgrade to the $10 level for all the video versions of the show as well as getting access to the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. So, after this quick break, we'll be back to talk the Austrian Grand Prix. So here we are again in Austria. Austria 2 Electric Bubble. It was a day of milestones for Red Bull as Max Verstappen achieved his first ever Grand Slam in Formula 1, winning from pole position, setting the fastest lap while leading every lap of the race. It also marked <laughs> Red Bull's fifth straight victory, the first time they've done that since 2013, and the first time Honda Power has done so in Formula 1 since that McLaren season in 1988. You know one. Mm-hmm. You all know the one. The Mercs, well, they were stuck dealing with Lando Norris, who pumped in a phenomenal lap in qualifying to put his McLaren second. It took Hamilton most of the first stint to clear him, but Hamilton ended up picking up aero damage on the left rear of his car after driving over the curbs at turn 10. Uh, looks like it was wear-related rather than going especially wide. His car was assessed to have lost around 30 points of downforce, worth about six to seven tenths a lap, and he hemorrhaged time and dropped to fourth on the day behind Valtteri, who ended up finishing second, and Lando, who ended up finishing third for his third podium of 2021. Max has extended his championship lead to 32 points, the biggest deficit Lewis Hamilton has faced since the 2016 Japanese Grand Prix. Before we get to the winner on the day, mm. holy crap, Lando Norris! P2! That was... three P3 in the race, and yeah. if it weren't for circumstances, which we will talk about a little later on the show, mm. easily would have been second. I don't know if a win was in sight, but Lando Norris, what a season he's had. You, they, they, Cameron Chandler on Sky Sports F1 did a great piece where they do their qualifying lap comparison. And if you watch the side by side of him and Paul Sitter's Verstappen's laps, Norris was leading at the final corner. He was in front and he lost about a car length through turn 10 
and that was pretty much the only reason why Lando wouldn't have had his first career pole position. That was an outrageous, best one I've seen this season. That was a whopper, and then again, he was able, like, this was the story of the race, or from the, from the front of it anyway, the one that, for me, was the most captivating. Seeing the fact that Lando was able to keep Hamilton behind him for most of the first stint and stay with both uh, Mercedes over the course of the entire race, obviously because Valtteri ended up in front towards the end of the race, but Lando was competitive against the factory Mercedes outfit pretty much the entire race, the entire weekend, if you want to include qualifying as well. It was it was fantastic, incredibly impressive. The best I've seen Lando Norris drive a car, and uh, he's had he's already had a few good days. And this was this was the chef's kiss. This was this was phenomenal as well. Oh, yeah. This was everything we expected Lando Norris to be when he inevitably got the call up to Formula One. And I know it took a while because unlike Charles and unlike Matt and unlike George, he was never immediately in the frame for a top-tier drive upon his first or second year in the sport. But boy, he is doing some phenomenal stuff with the McLaren team. whose stock is rising every year. I mean, we, we we were just talking about this last week where he is clearly the number one driver against a multiple Grand Prix winner who was brought in this offseason. He's the, he's the only driver who's been in the points every round. He already just surpassed his career high points call for a season after nine rounds of this year. And we have as many as 14, but probably as few. We have we have some number of races left. What can I tell yeah. you? The, the sky I, I is the limit a for a minimum, A minimum of <laughs> 11 or 12 left. A minimum. Yeah. We good. have plenty of time to extend that points total. He's driving. He's he's driving the best, some of the best in the field. We've not been quadrant pilled. This guy's legitimately doing <laughs> this proven yeah. as such. Yeah, Going back to his days he's legitimate. He uh, until he ran out of tires, Lewis Hamilton could do nothing with him in a factory Mercedes. Right. That mm. should kind of say it all, really. King. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's surreal to see. It's surreal to see the McLaren that high up the order. Uh... It, it doesn't front row since 2012. Like, I, I know the McLaren's fast, but it's not that fast on its own. Like, clearly Lando is getting 110% out of this car. Certain, certainly feels that way. I've, that, that was, and it, the, he got the ultimate endorsement over the radio where Lewis Hamilton said, as he finally passed him about 20 laps into the race, he said, quote, such a great driver, Lando. And uh, there was was, was some Instagram dap between the pair of them as well, uh, saying, quote, the first of uh, many more to come. And uh, we still joked about it last week. We'll repeat it again as I put in the chat. He's ahead of Valtteri Bottas in the championship. Still, uh, the the nine-round points. Again, he's just taken as good as he can get out of every weekend we're seeing him drive. And... That's worth something. It is worth something. That's it right there. He is maximizing everything. Every opportunity he gets, he gets all that's there on the table and more. Absolutely. And that's why McLaren is doing so well in the constructors. That's why he just put a McLaren Mercedes, which this team has not been on the front row. I reiterate, 
since 2012. He put them ahead of the factory Mercs. Mercedes can't, uh, they can't insinuate anything about that Honda power unit anymore, now can they? They just got beat by one of their customers. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think segues us nicely into the Mercedes situation. I mean, Hamilton's not been down this bad since that other teammate that he had in Formula 1. He's minus 32 as it stands, after nine rounds. We talked a a lot last week about the state of play at Mercedes and their seeming winding down of development for the year. This could very well be their final upgrade that's due apparently at Silverstone next weekend. It's the last one. It's the last one in the pipeline. Does this feel like a last stand? It feels like it might be their last stand because this This... this is Mercedes land. This is built. It's something the, is built for them. If they don't get this them, one, <laughs> it is built for them. It is their last upgrade on the W12, and indeed, this generation, this extraordinary generation of Formula One cars. Lewis Hamilton's built. good here, and La- Lewis Hamilton is a certified wrecking machine around this place. Seven and it seven. feels like, unless they find something absolutely game changing. There is nothing they can do. Max Verstappen got out of DRS range from Lando, rocketed up the road, and even though they pitted Lewis with with his damage for a fastest lap, Max then took fastest lap on his dead tires, pulled enough of a gap to come out ahead of Valtteri, pitted again, and then set a 106-2 over a second clear of the field just as a final middle finger. To everyone, we were talking. We were just talking about how the chance of getting a grand slam in a modern Formula race now that we have the fastest lap points, it is drive. so much harder now. Mm-hmm. That's you just have to how be fast. Yeah, yeah. Like this was. It's gotten beyond the point where Mercedes can do nothing. It's to the point where. Max can rock it away at the front and then just, he doesn't have to push. Yeah. He can just, he can get out of undercut range, manage his tires, and just go on a nice Sunday drive. Yeah. As uh, as they say, Mercedes claimed that they enjoyed being the hunters. It's not fun when the rabbits got the gun, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. And yeah, it was a very quiet Mercedes garage. The social media team weren't vibing as like they normally do. Like, I mean, we were watching on the pit lane channel. How many Max Verstappen radio messages did you hear during that race, apart from when he crossed the line to win? Like, maybe the pit one. Stop. It yeah. was one. That was it. Two. Like, like uh... box, box, box. You know, like they even they nope. even had the fastest pit stop for the seventh for the seventh time this season. It yeah, was a perfect uh... race. <laughs> yeah, this is the most perfect performance we've seen from a non-Mercedes team since Ferrari's strong period at the start of, for you know, first half of 2018. Yeah, pretty much. And this is this is ridiculous. Yeah, and none like this year. And please do not take this as slander as anybody who may have been at Ferrari back in 2018. This looks more. This looks more like a comfortable advantage. This is way more decisive. This yeah. is the. The the pendulum kind of swung between yeah it swung between Ferrari and Mercedes seemingly every other race 
this is decisive now. There's mm-hmm. nothing that the Red Bull does that's worse than the Mercedes. Anyway. If it wasn't Max Verstappen, we'd be saying that Max Verstappen is just being a benefactor of an Adrian Newey car design and a powerful Honda engine. Well, funny how that works. Funny that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Honda went from being... Honda came into the sport with a spluttering, coughing, dying McLaren. No, first they came in with the expectation that it was going to be 1988 all over again, and then they came in with a spluttering, coughing mess. (laughs) Yeah. A spluttering, coughing McLaren that finished two laps down, Jensen Button willing it to simply finish. They are pulling pit stops on Mercedes. Yeah. That's terrifying. Are they sure? Given the state of play, given the state of play last year, given that they were DNSing races in 2017. Yeah. Like, they are stomping the team that won 11 out of 17 Grand Prix last season. Like, and should have won a lot more. Yeah. They, they, they should have had more than that. Like, Mercedes were back to 2014 levels of dominance last year, and Red Bull's hauled ass, Honda has hauled ass. Verstappen was able to, to box from the lead, come out in front and set a fastest lap. That never happens in this era. Even no. Mercs at their best were not doing this on the field. This was a, a beat down of colossal proportions. Um, and I, I was watching that race thinking... We might already be done here after nine rounds. And yeah. three rounds ago, we thought, this could be a fantastic season battle. Three it's rounds later, we're four like... Four rounds ago. Yeah. Four rounds ago, Mercedes looked like they had got the car under control. And, yeah, you know, they, they outplayed them in Spain. They stomped them and poured them out. And yeah. now it swung back so quickly where now Mercedes are... Mercedes are despondent in the face of a, an almost insurmountable challenge. You if they don't when... win in Silverstone, yeah. I said they need to win two, two of the next three. They won zero of the next three since that since that required prediction. Mm. If they don't win in Silverstone, if they don't club Red Bull in Silverstone. Barring reliability, Verstappen could well over. run the table for the rest. They're he could run the table for the rest snookers. of the year. We could be we could finish this title three or four races early. This is nothing they yeah. can do. I was going to say, even if you compare it from a driver's standpoint, Verstappen is way better than he was a year and a half ago. The most he stepped out of line all season was a couple of track limits excursions. That's about as far as it's gone. Besides that, he's pretty much gotten the most out of this Red Bull this season. Yeah, you, you remember, remember early in the best. season where we thought these track limits excursions were going to ultimately cost him a title? Man, that <laughs> seems like forever feels a long, ago. Feels a long, long time ago. Like... Mm. The only mistake you can really look at this year that is, you know, driver error cost them hard points on the track was probably Max at the end of Bahrain. Yeah. Pulling off the move on around the outside. Yeah. Every other time he's maximized what's available. Yeah. And the the time that Mercedes could have, they could have got one back on Red Bull, someone fat fingered a button and he went flying off a of turn one. Yeah. The and guy that's, a the very guy that's small. Made, yeah. A, a very small error, yeah. as comp- it took all the pressure off of Red Bull. Yeah, I was going to say the one, the ones, the ones that's cracked more in these high pressure situations so far has been Hamilton. Something that you would never have guessed a year ago. Like Hamilton yeah. just had to go over the limit to try and keep up. 
and it's showing. He's looked the one that's looked a lot more vulnerable as the year has gone on. And again, you would never have guessed of that given the Pantheon status we were putting Hamilton in less than a year ago. And, and that's, the, uh, that's the biggest change this year with Verstappen. Those of you who are longtime listeners of the show know I have been very critical of Verstappen for being all aggression and vibes for most of his time in the sport because he was having to get everything that he could out of an inferior car. See, that's... Now that he had the car, now that he's got the car, he's a completely different person. Hmm. And rather than than buckling under the pressure, he's thriving under it. As is Red Bull. Wild. It's the it opposite of what it's the if you went into this year, it's the opposite of what everyone would have expected. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, my prediction was Verstappen's gonna buckle somewhere down the line and that's gonna cost him the championship. As it stands right now, I'm not so sure about that. Mer- Mercedes wards are bursting at the seams. And uh, if yeah. they can't dominate Silverstone, as far as I'm concerned, that's their wards have broken entirely and yeah. the championship will be over. Yeah, two races left before the summer break. And uh, yeah, Sadie's backs are well and truly against the wall, unlike anything we've seen in the, in the turbo hybrid era to date. And that is going to be fascinating going forward. It's going to be an incredible British Grand Prix. The, there will be fans. Love that. There's going to be yeah. a, probably about 140,000 oh, yeah. on race day and the oh, majority yeah, there will, be will be there for Lewis. Brands so, Hatches. Uh, Brands if you're not, not there for Lewis, about it. if you're not there for Lewis, you might not want to show up. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be winning that boy on hard that weekend while they wave their negative PCR tests in the air because they need him to be there. Um, so uh, yeah, good luck with that. They've literally had to remortgage their houses to be able to afford this. Um, so uh, good luck with that, and uh, good luck Mercedes because uh, this could be your last you chance need it. next weekend. King. Uh, um, I wouldn't want to be a race steward this weekend. No, uh, wouldn't want to be a race steward. We got a hint of it because we got a hint of it early because Formula Three races before Formula One, and there was a slew of track limits penalties given out in the F three races. Uh, it was clear that Michael Massey was gonna keep that trend going forward, and (laughs) in the race, uh, pretty much by the end. Two thirds of the field was was under investigation for something that they did during the course of the weekend. Uh, kind of briefly split it up into three parts. Uh, the big story qualifying was Sebastian Vettel getting a three place grid penalty for the race for blocking, uh, for notably blocking Fernando Alonso during his last run in qualifying. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, it really felt that. It really felt like Vettel shouldn't have been the only driver penalized. I'm glad yeah. you said it. I'm glad <laughs> you said it, King. Rip that bandage off. To be the one to, to lay in front of that bullet. But uh, look, I, 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 I don't want to say this as a homer, as a Sebastian homer. But if you're going to throw the book at Sebastian for a block, and don't get me wrong, I'm not holding my hands up. It was absolutely a block on Fernando. Not disputing that. Yeah, he, he deserved his penalty. He deserved. It was a clear block, slam dunk penalty. Fine. I've got no problem with that. The problem I have is the fact that he was only going slowly because 
Valtteri Bottas and Carlos Sainz were in front of him in the queue, and they were specifically told by Michael Massey before the weekend started, no dawdling on the turns 9 and 10 before you go back for your hot laps. Mercedes even radioed race control to start the session, asking for clarification. And the reply was, yes, we told the drivers in the meeting, you can't go slow between 9 and 10. And what happened? Bottas and Sainz go slow between 9 and 10, and were cleared of punishment. And what got me was the steward's note where it says, quote, because no driver was wholly to blame, basically because everybody was doing it, we couldn't throw the book at Valtteri and Carlos. It, What's it was the Valtteri, point? <laughs> it was Val, it was Carlos, and it was it was uh, Perez. They were all kind of together on track. How do you... <laughs> how do you come to the conclusion that because all three of you were in violation, none of you get the penalty, while Vettel, who was then put in that situation... Gets the penalty because he did. He did end up blocking someone. It's two different rules, yeah. and that's fine. But if you amended the rules specifically to deal with the situation, three people breach it, and you just do nothing. Yeah, is, it's like oh, everything's uh, fine. You, we're not going to penalize anyone for breaking this rule. But you over there in the corner, uh, you broke this other rule. That the only reason you broke it is because everyone broke that first rule. We're not penalizing people for. Uh, Why even write the rule then? I I think this is like I I understand not wanting to rile up the teams and not wanting to make F one look like a joke by some people's measures, but if you have to penalize everyone, penalize everyone. Yeah. I just yeah, like I I don't get it. Like you you've like if either punish no one or punish everyone, the fact you singled out one guy and then not the other two guys, or whatever a specific rule that was in the book, I just find I just found that nonsensical. It didn't make any sense to me, uh whatsoever. Like, so I had no problem in in a vacuum that Vettel got yeah. three places because it absolutely was a slam dunk block. I've got no problem with that at all. But Yeah. He, he only blocked him because of what was going on in front of him. Um, yeah, nowhere know, to go. Yeah. Like, what, uh, one led to the other, as far as I'm concerned. And, and if, you know, and there's the gentleman's agreement you can't overtake uh, when I, I think that's. Up, I think that know. gentleman's agreement is completely gone this yeah. year. We've Tear heard so many people dumpster fire. Unrepeatable yeah. <laughs> yeah. so qualifying. Yeah. yeah, it's like moving on. Uh, during the race, also between 9 and 10, uh, Giovinazzi got a five-second penalty for overtaking before the safety car line, and Yuki Tsunoda got uh, two five-second penalties for crossing the pit entry line. Uh, just careless from Yuki. Yeah, just careless. Same penalty twice in a row. Stonewall. That's uh... Uh, as a football fan to say, that's a stonewall penalty. And, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, it was poor driving from Sonoda. He should know better. Um, and, uh, he was having a good I, weekend up to that point, which is, makes it all the more aggravating. Yeah, and uh, to be fair, he was very honest about it on Twitter. He said he was frustrated with his race, and he said, quote, maybe no schnitzel for me tonight, um, which I thought was uh, quite funny. Um, at least he acknowledged that, yeah, he knew he had a bad day. That one was pretty cut and dry. <laughs> yeah, but oh. more... Uh, Probably the most controversial penalty of the race was Lando Norris receiving uh, a five-second time penalty, as well as two penalty points for uh, running Sergio Perez 
off the road in on the exit of four. And then later on that race, Perez got two separate five-second penalties for running Leclerc off the road twice. Uh... It was certainly one flame suits on. <laughs> yep, it was certainly a wild day for Sergio Perez. Yeah, I was about oh to say God. this looked bleak for Mercedes. Could you have imagined if Sergio Perez didn't have a shocker this weekend? The pendulum has swung to Perez is the underachieving second driver. Now Valtteri Bottas is holding up Mercedes in the World Constructors Championship. It's weird. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Uh where do we even start with this one? I, I think we start off with the move that triggered all of this. Sergio Perez okay. deciding, maybe I can stick it around the outside of the McLaren in my Red Bull. Mm. Which, you know, at that corner is a viable move. We saw yes. it last week with rolls reversed when it was Norris overtaking Perez at the same corner with the cars swapped. Mm. Um... But that involves being left racing room by the person on the inside. Mm. And Lando wasn't feeling particularly generous. None. <laughs> yeah, I've seen claims. I've seen breakdowns. Uh, one Scott Mansell has said that uh, he feels that Norris had left Perez enough room. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, he, he didn't. The, th- the reason why I think Lando got the penalty more than more than breaking the letter of the law, because we have to remember, the 2019 Verstappen Amendment means that the letter of lo- the law with this rule means absolutely nothing. Yeah. If you want to bash someone off, go right ahead. It doesn't help. <laughs> no. And uh, that's where, a, a, that's the source of a lot of the inconsistency with this penalty. Mm. Mm. But no, it, was, it was pretty Lando, consistent today. Yeah. It was like, consistent for one day. One but day. The thing is, Lando didn't really hide it all that well. No, he could have very easily made the corner and left Perez room and chose not to. Yeah. Typically, they'll let you get away with it if you make it look like you're just taking the fast line up out of the corner yeah. and you just so happen to edge someone off the road. Yeah. If you just steer someone out there and steer someone into the gravel trap, typically it will end up in a penalty. Yeah, like... I was going to say, like, go on, go on, go on, I'll you first. I get it. I get it. Lando Norris look, was looking like the only thing. If he if he got knocked off the podium because of this penalty, and we got another Verstappen, Botas, Hamilton podium out of this, I get it. I get that we want somebody else in the midst for a podium, let alone a race victory and change. I know we all love Lando Norris, but, you know... Think back a year to this same venue. Think back to how Lando Norris found himself in position to get his first career podium. Mm. Remember that? When Lewis Hamilton decided to take out Alexander Albon at that very same corner of the track, that five-second penalty, which allowed Lando Norris to jump right into position to snatch his first podium? The difference is, is that Albon more or less had the move done and Hamilton just crossed over his line and sent him right into the gravel. Right. Um, and that was ruled as a five-second penalty. I look at it like, if there is more than enough room, and you're level going into the corner, and you rush the braking zone to try and stay alongside, 
you're probably pushing your luck. Yeah. And the yeah. idea that the idea that the you're the idea that if you don't run someone off the road, that you're just giving them the corner is so silly. Not because if you want hard racing, you don't run them out of road. You give them racing room and try to prevail anyway. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like at, at first glance, I thought because of the Verstappen amendment, I thought let that one go. Then I saw Lando's on board, and it's pretty cut and dry that he ran Perez off the road. Lando wasn't slick. You can take the narrower line through turn four to set up the racing line for turn five. If he'd have given Perez a fair shake on the exit of turn four and let him have an even contest to five, he'd have gotten away with that one. But mm-hmm. he yeah. pretended like Perez's car didn't exist on the outside of that corner. And, um, yeah, I, I put that down to rookie... Look, he doesn't know the gamesmanship laws just yet. Give him another five yeah, years. If he, if he played that a little, <laughs> if he played that a little more stealthily, he still could have done what he did and yeah. not gotten a penalty. He was less obvious yeah. about it. Lando yeah. said after airs, he said, "I didn't put anyone in harm's way. In fact, the opposite, and everything I did safely. Why should I get penalty points for that? Nothing I've done is dangerous. It's stupid, in my opinion. It's not what F one should be, and I hope that other people would back me up on this opinion. I know this puts him to ten, but." He's going to have two of them drop off. He would have to just completely go unhinged in Britain to stand any risk of a race ban. I know it looks yeah, bad. He has the two. He has the two drop off. I think he has a yeah. couple more drop off before later. Britain. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He has two drop off before Britain, but he'll be on eight until November. So he's going to be a little bit careful. Um, yeah, we'll get into the into the, in the penalty point situation a little bit later, but uh, yeah, he for the next three days is on ten points at the moment, penalty point wise, and I think that's just a bit of a petulant. I came out on the wrong side of a call I didn't agree with, sort of quote um, from Lando more than anything else. Like, I, okay, you yeah. didn't outright drive dangerously. I'm not. Well, I don't think anyone's gonna gonna say that, but at the same time. You knew what you were doing. You admitted it on the radio during the race. Well, a quote, what did Perez expect going around the outside? It's like, you clearly knew what you were doing yeah, on that you, one. You gotta be, you, know? you gotta be more slick with that. Like, shake, fair shake to Lewis Hamilton. No one plays that game better than him. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that's experience patented, right there. Patented move. And uh, this set up two more penalties for the rest of the race. Because uh, after that happened, Sergio Perez decided he was going to take it out on the Zoomers. (laughs) He was going to take it out on Charles, who, remember, last week only got driver of the day because he decided to use Pierre Gasly like an inside curb. Uh, Great drive from Gasly as a side note. However, um, making a habit of that. Perez is guilty of the same thing for me with the second one. He just clearly steered out there and shoved Charles right off yeah, the road. That that was a chop block. Yeah, that was I a chop that block. That was a shove. Like, those like the Perez is two, especially given what we'd seen with Lando half an hour earlier. Those two were clear cut. Those like no. those were. I, I would penalties. say first one, the first one that Perez did on Charles absolutely slammed on. The second one, I had no idea what Charles was thinking. I don't think anyone's ever made that move around that corner. It's different when you've got racing room. Charles was always going to the gravel on that that second yeah. move, which is which is why Perez should have given him room because Perez would have 
beating him out the corner anyway. Corner. Yeah, yeah he would have had the line. It was a completely but, uh, unnecessary block, and that's what got him the penalty. He d- he did not have to defend so vigorously from a move that probably wasn't going to stick. Um, and yeah, Perez misjudged it, and uh, yeah, they, those two almost came to blows in Park Ferme after the race. Like uh, Charles went to the Red Bull and exchanged some words um, on that one after Perez uh, uh, cut him off not once but twice in that one. I think I've Perez had is enough from you of... Red Bull drivers at this fucking track. <laughs> Um, yeah, I I think Perez is suffering still a little bit from the, the mentality of the midfield of try and take, get all you can early on. When I think even in that first incident with Lando, he could have waited, used the superior pace of the car and got and secured a one, two. I think he's still getting used to being in what is in reality right now, the best car in F1 in that that respect yeah. Mm. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's got to tune that out a little bit the next couple races yeah four now penalty I, points in the day now yeah. I do have to mention the final incident of the day between oh. Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel that netted Raikkonen a 20 second time penalty and two penalty points where's my mallet classic Kimi like it, it's hard to say exit of four because it was well past the exit of four. <laughs> it, it was it's it, it was in the, down to five. It was in the <laughs> it was in the curve down to five. George Russell, who, as a side note, we didn't put it in the set list, but he gave it everything. Q three, Q three in a Williams, Q three on mediums. Um, so now Fernando Alonso has the ability to overtake a Williams in the clutch time late in the race when it really matters. Now he can overtake a Williams when it really matters, when the chips are down. Right, right. (laughs) RJ is not mad about this whatsoever. George Russell put in the drive of his life, ultimately lost out to Alonso in a faster car. Fantastic defense while while he could defend. He locks up on completely dead tires in front of Kimi Raikkonen. Mm-hmm. This gives Sebastian Vettel, on a terrible, no good, and very bad day for Aston Martin, the run on the inside of Kimi. He holds his line, and Kimi just kind of drove right into his left rear, causing an airplane crash that took them took Vettel out of the race. Kimi limped home with damage. Yeah, and, and, and ultimately, through all the penalties, gained position. <laughs> yep, somehow <laughs> gained position because yeah. Uh, just to briefly go through it, uh, when Nikita Maz- uh, yeah, when Nikita Mazepin and Nicholas Latifi were given thirty-second time penalties because they didn't slow enough, slow down enough to acknowledge the double wave yellows caused by said incident between Vettel and Raikkonen. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Raikkonen only got a twenty-second time penalty for his incident. And I think that was Michael Massey saying that was a drive-through, and the T Fiamma was effectively a ten-second stop and go, um, essentially for what obviously because it was the final lap. They haven't got time to annoy those penalties, so yeah, they converted him into time. That's how it turned. Now it actually bumped Raikkonen up from sixteenth to fifteenth because of the ten-second difference. Way to go, guys! Um, oh. Also, I've only just come back into the country after being in the Alfa Romeo garage because these hands were rated E for everyone. Um, <laughs> I was pissed, uh, to say the least, on that one. Like, I was more pissed than Sebastian was. He was just like, eh, 
Guess he didn't see me. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no I, I loved, I loved Seb's quotes. Like, I don't think either of us intended that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most diplomatic airplane crash response I have ever heard in my twenty years of F one. It was like, eh, shit happens, huh? Yeah, guess it does. <laughs> and that was the end of it. <laughs> those, those two. Uh, I, I think it's dulled by. I, I don't. Th- neither of them were playing for anything. They, it was no. just outside the points. Uh, Alonzo rocketed up the road after he passed Russell. Uh, that's not so good for the cost cap, guys. No. You don't want to be wiping out cars when you're, you don't have a lot of money to play with anyway. No ideal. But uh, there was a lot of talk about this and the penalty point system as a result of it because uh, Raikkonen got two for that Vettel incident on the last lap. Mazepin and Latifi got three each um, for ignoring the double wave the yellows. Uh, Perez got two times two for his two. Yuki got two times one. You get the gist. There was a lot of points dished out, and Norris was one of the first guys to really come at the sport for complaining about the penalty point system. Ironic, given that he's currently on 10 at the time of this recording. I'm sure that's got nothing to do with it, and you know the prospect of a potential race ban um, looms large. I mean, the way we look at it, though, gentlemen, is it... Are the way these points distributed fair? Like, is it something that needs to be worked on? Because I'm not sure, given the scale of punishment we give out in F1, that a five-second time penalty can also carry two penalty points. Like, I'm I'm not... It's a weird one. Well, I... I, uh, The thing is that, like, for the most part, it's not that consequential in terms of things. Mm. Like, it's it's mainly an off track deterrent. Do, do you want do you want it to be uh, no penalty points and like a ten second time penalty? I rather it be this way, where it's something that doesn't directly affect the outcome of the race, but it's something the drivers have to keep mind of because if they keep doing this, there is the high chance that they will miss out on competing in a race. I, I tend to agree with King. Um, mm. Perhaps a little bit of context in a given incident might be useful, but I think this, I feel like it being, cl- for once, the FIA actually being clear-cut and consistent on what what gets handed out mm. is probably a better thing. It's probably better than doing it a different way where maybe it's graded on a curve a little bit. Yeah. Because yeah. then you get you get the potential for the inconsistencies that defined entire sections of this podcast for months with track limits. No idea what you mean. Um, it's not like I didn't write those scripts or anything. There's no nuance anyway. allowed. Derek Warwick, who is clearly a bum that's never done anything in his life, uh, just know. wants to ruin everybody's fun for everybody else. Michael Massey can do nothing right as a race steward. Yeah, it's easier if we it's... just think it in those strokes. Yeah, people people are very people react very in very volatile ways to this, depending on who gets involved. Because Lando is very very popular. We happen to like him a lot on the show. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we're also willing to like say the call him out when like maybe you're doing something wrong. And there is a lot of fans who are very active on every every outlet. On Sunday, calling the FIA biased, rigged, etc. 
ignoring the fact yeah. that Lando's had multiple incidents where he's ignored basic safety rules, which has led to heavy amounts of penalty points being dished his way. Yeah, and like yeah. just just looking at the the list of penalties and penalty points given out in the past race, it's clear to see the line of thinking from the FIA here, where mm-hmm. the amount of penalty points you get from an incident is based on how much you put someone else in danger. Yeah. Yeah, which but, which I think is the right way to do it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, looking at it, like, we saw one for a blocking qualifying, we saw one for crossing the, the pit entry line. Those are not really issues that are going to hurt anybody. Not really. No. Um, mm-hmm. We got two for the more driver-based incidents on causing a collision, like with Perez and with Perez and Norris and Giovinazzi crossing before the safety car line, and, of course, the Raikkonen incident. Yeah. And we got three in, at once for Mazepin and Latifi for ignoring a double-wave yellow. and let's not forget, kids, double-wave yellows. part of the coding for that is slow down and be prepared to stop. Yeah, because like, it, yeah. it means that it's pretty much expected that there's a marshal... Like, not, while not on track, but there's a marshal in an area of the circuit where you could potentially strike them. Yeah. Or a vehicle, example, or whatever example. Yeah, quite right. And they got three for that. So, it's clear they are gauging the penalty point distribution based on safety. And I haven't got a problem with that at all. And I I've described to people the penalty point system in the same way that professional Hearthstone players talk about using health as a resource. The only one that really matters is your last one. And and yep. when it comes to penalty points, the only one that really matters is your 12th. The other 11 don't mean anything. In the same way that, you might remember, MotoGP had a very similar system um, not oh, too long no. ago. And uh, the way they treated that was a mess where they didn't quite know what they were doing, and so much so it eventually got scrapped. Where, you know, if I got punted off a motorcycle and only got three of them, when four of them was a back-of-the-grid penalty. Yeah, if, I mean... Yeah, judgment keep is, in mind, is I think, important here. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so something I'm, else I'm, to keep in mind as well. Has anyone in Formula 1 actually been... Have they actually received a race ban due to the system? Not no. since no. this system's been in place. And no. I yeah, really... Because we, we know about the one about nine years ago due to a certain Turn 1 incident. The only driver I can think of that has received a race ban, received, didn't necessarily serve, was um, the laughing stock of Formula 2, Mahavir Ragunathan. Yep. Who was racking up so many penalty points, it was, he received all of those in the space of one season. Yeah. So if it takes driving that badly within one season, that dangerously, to get an actual race ban, I'd say the penalty points are balanced pretty well in that there is a deterrent, but you have plenty of time to clean up your act. Not even Haas number nine drives that bad. No, (laughs) nowhere near. And that'll be the nicest thing I say about the show about him for the next couple of weeks or so. Yeah. I think Matt's been five right now, so I know it's easier to make jokes about how bad a driver he is, but, like, you know, look, I come from the camp of a driver that got five in a single day back in Bahrain, so I know what it's like. Oh God. But um, I'll, I'll say for free, like, the only one that matters is your 12th. 
um, hmm. and it's over a calendar year. So, yeah, as, as, as Cam alludes to, the average is two per incident. You, it means you're probably going to have to break a major rule six times over the course of a calendar year to get a race ban. If you're driving if you that are, stupid, you probably yeah. you probably should be a race. You probably should get at least a race ban. Yeah, probably you're breaking that many major rules. Though, yeah, I don't think it's a problem. Though Dre, I think we need to move on to talk about another series where people were uh, driven off the road. Really? Where? Um, Stadium what? super trucks. Oh, oh that one. no, we're not. No, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not doing. That. Well, they're <laughs> amazingly enough. They are so tiny. The trucks are so tiny in person. I thought they'd be like the size of monster trucks. No, they're like the nope. size of like 90s Ford Rangers in person. They're so tiny. So besides the stadium super trucks, we also had an IndyCar race at Mid-Ohio this past weekend. And well, it shouldn't be such a surprise. To, to say that a Penske has won a race in IndyCar, but here we are, over halfway through the season. But after three straight pole positions and a mountain full of, of hard luck, Joseph Newgarden back in victory lane with a dominant victory in Ohio, taking 73 of the 80 laps led in the process, led pretty much from lights to flag out sliders and pit stops. He had a bit of difficulty. Marcus Erickson ran him pretty damn close all the way to the flag in the end. Um, some very aggressive use of push to pass and some extra fuel being saved uh, allowed Marcus to have a real crack at it. Just ran out of laps at the end of the Grand Prix on that one. But uh, yeah, another very strong weekend for Chip Ganassi. Their cars 2, 3, and 4 over the line in, the, in that one with Pelot third and Scott Dixon in fourth. We'll also talk in a, in a, briefly in a little bit about a other major highlight, and that was uh, Scott Dixon and Will Power beating seven bells off each other on a restart, and uh, Power being spun out at the top of the hill, um, and some early caution carnage, Power not surviving uh, that spin after colliding with Ed Jones in a puff of smoke. Um, that wasn't ideal at all. Um, but first of all, it's only fair we go to our race fans in the car correspondents. Mr. R.J. O'Connell. How was Mid-Ohio, my man? Um, the way I would describe Mid-Ohio is like, imagine if Barber Motorsports Park was built 50 years earlier. <laughs> it's a similar vibe. It's still oppressively hot in the middle of the summer, at least. Um, now, being in the media center was good. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Arnie. Everyone in media. IndyCar uh, Series Media. Uh, thank you, Chris, for being hospitable enough to get me into Honda Racing's hospitality section for Saturday morning so I could watch Ooh. the combination IndyCar final practice and Formula One qualifying while stuffing my face full of bacon and eggs. Um, Lovely. Nothing wrong with was, that. It was a good time. I really enjoyed it. It's good being back at the track for the first time in what seems like 10,000 years. Um, I would recommend it. And as to the follow-up question of whether or not I think Joseph's New Garden's form is sustainable, well, he's done this before last season. Because he was more than 100 points out with seven races to go last season, and then he almost came back to win it. It's six races left. He's only 64 points out of the championship. He's got to start straining together more wins if he's going to make another championship comeback. But I do think, given... Even if his results didn't show at Detroit 2 or at Road America, the way he's been driving, it wouldn't surprise me if he at least finishes a runner-up in the championship once again. 
look, this is if we take purely the driving on the side of things, Joseph Newgarden has been absolutely ridiculous for about a month straight. Yeah. He mm-hmm. is so much faster than everyone else. And only purely by reliability and circumstance is he not on a massive win streak running towards Pelot at the top of the standings. Pelot, who ended up uh, extending his championship gap. Pato, not a great weekend from him. Yeah. Joseph um, Newgarden. Pato did great damage mitigation after qualifying back in 20th. Like he yeah. said, after qualifying. You know, it sucks to qualify this slow because he pretty much botched the last corner of his last turn before before like his flying lap and that pretty much just ruined the rest of his lap he did phenomenally charge up through the field and finish in the top 10 all things considered yeah. but Polo good, was good excellent. drive given the circumstances Polo's pit work at the end got him ahead of Scott Dixon and that was huge yeah. on final excellent stuff and even <sighs> when Scott Dixon is out here being Scott Dixon Polo is matching him every step of the way at mid-Ohio at I mean, Mid-Ohio. Scott, at Scott Dixon, it may say that he's from Wellington, New Zealand on his bio card. But Scott Dixon is the mayor of Lexington, Ohio. <laughs> I just go back to qualifying and watching every session where seemingly every time someone went to the top, Newgarden clubbed the field down by about another three-tenths. Yeah. He just kept fi- If he can keep this up, and his car holds together. It's going to be a grandstand finish in the title. couple of notes Again. as well. 50th anniversary yeah. of Penske's first IndyCar win. Yep. Good victory. Yep. And Joseph Newgarden has overtaken Ryan hunter Ray as the most successful. The And I know people are going to bitch and moan that winningest is not a word. But the winningest American driver that's still active with his 19th victory. <laughs> And I'll have you know, winningest is most certainly a word. Hey. We'll take it. Well, and, uh, thanks given, to King in Dictionary Corner. <laughs> yeah, given given the, the drivers who are in the field, that is mightily impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 19 wins for Joseph. Like, it's it's terrifying that I knew of Ryan Hunter before I was an IndyCar fan, and in the time I've been watching... New Garden's overtaken him for wins. That's uh, quite a startling statistic. But no, I can, I can only back up what, what Cam was saying. He's been phenomenal since the Indy 500. E- ever since that race. And even then, he was the best of the Penske's, apart from Pagano. But, you know, New Garden was able to bring home a solid result in the end, given that they were nowhere throughout most of the month of May. Ever since, New Garden's been on fire. He's been phenomenal um, since then. And he's looked virtually impervious outside of all the mitigating factors outside of his control. But that's the beauty and the curse of motorsport, unfortunately. But uh, no, he's been sensational. And again, every, like this was the weekend where it all just came together. He narrowly beat Marcus Ericsson over the line. He beat Colton Herter in qualifying by three thousandths of a second. It was Yeah, those two in qualifying were <sighs> miles away. Like, <sighs> Colton... It's aggravating watching Colton because he is. It was not a good race day for Colton Herta no, because he, is he had so fuel flow issues on both of his stops, and then he had to stop for emergency service on the last lap, which dropped him out of the top ten. He went from second and the only guy who could live with Joseph's pace all day to dropping outside the top ten in the last lap. He would have given that. Given that New Garden had to back off a bit near the end, he should have been in contention for that win. 
Indeed, indeed. And yeah, Colton, again, phenomenal job. Just wasn't his day today out there. And yeah, Joseph looking impervious to anything other than challenging for victories at the moment. And we, we have to give another mention to Marcus Erickson. We did after he won in Detroit uh, earlier in the season. Would you believe it if I told, if you didn't know IndyCar, uh, or vaguely knew IndyCar, that Marcus Erickson was fifth in the championship right now? Fifth? First. <laughs> I, I must say, he and Grosjean hit each other in practice. Say the, the line, Gary oh, Gannon! Boy. Say the line, Gary Gannon! <laughs> I think fault. Erickson hit us. <laughs> Look, yeah! Honestly, through all the excellence at the top of the championship, through the young stars coming good, I think Mark, Marcus Erickson is, might be my standout breakout driver of the year because he's been here for a long time. Marcus but Erickson. this year, he's, been, he's taken a huge step this year. I said this when I wrote my feature for race fans, that Marcus Erickson no longer looks like the Mendoza Lion of F1, which is what he was throughout his entire F1 career. He is now looking like the kid that was winning two single-seater titles in his first three years in car racing. He's looking like the guy that Indy 500 winner Kenny Breck said, this dude is the future. He outperformed Alex Pillow, who's leading the championship, and Scott Dixon, who, let's not forget, is Scott Dixon. Yeah. In oh, yeah. the same team. Yeah. He was the lead Chip Ganassi car, and uh, yeah, it doesn't feel all that freaky to say that. The only reason we're not talking about it more is because the way the championship's gone, it's two of the leading contenders from start to finish have been his two teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, again... Tip of the hat to Chip, because he's done an incredible job this season with his fleet of cars. I mean, second, third, fourth today. I mean, I think they're third, fourth, and fifth Not in the a... championship right now as well, which is just, well, just a you know, first, third, and fifth in the championship right now as well, which is incredible. It, it's bad that I have to say this, but props to Jimmy Johnson. Uh, genuinely props to him. Ran a, ran a clean weekend, I think, for the first time since he's been here. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Norman as well. One off IndyCar debut. Uh, ran a clean race as well. Can't fault that. Look, it's been a while since Ganassi has had this many cars that look like they want to win a championship. This is the, this is know, the first since, time since... Since Dario since was days, forced into retirement. Yeah. Since the days of Dario and Dixon. Have yeah. they had more than one truly competitive car in the championship fight? Yeah, so it's a hell of a step forward. And look, it, it, I, I, I have to say, as well, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like I said, as, as RJ alluded to, in F1, he was a punching bag. He was an easy joke. He became a meme at one point. He uh, The Mendoza line was a great analogy because he was just seen as another Swedish rich kid that was just there to take a seat for someone more talented beneath him. And like Felix Rosenquist. Yeah, he's you know. the guy who he's the guy who Andre Lauder walked into Caterham for a cup of coffee and outqualified him by yeah. the better part of a second with a week with one weekend in the car. It's a different he's, Marcus Erickson. Now. I think he's he's in a genuinely he's competitive taken situation, such a, and yeah. you know he had a rough first season, but you know he had a rough couple of seasons. I think this year this year is not the same Erickson. He's taken a very I think that win in Detroit. Gave him a huge boost of confidence. He's finished in the top 10 at every road course race. Like, the only times he's finished That's outside of the top job. 10, both races in Texas and the 500, where he still got mm-hmm. in the fast nine. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's, it's not a fluke. He's just had a great season. There's no there's no other way of, of shaping it. He's just been great this year. He's been consistent. He's had a couple of really big results, which is, what, which is the minimum of what you need in IndyCar, really. A big result means that much more in a field that competitive. And he's had two of them this year already. And the way he's driving, the way that Chip Ganassi is managing this team, it wouldn't surprise if there was another one between now and the end of the year. They, they're, they're doing an incredible job. And let Marcus Ericsson's success be proof that in, that Formula One and their success there should not and should never be the be-all and end-alls to how we associate and judge talent. Because... You would never have guessed three years or four years ago when he was in Formula One racing for Sauber that he could go over to IndyCar and genuinely climb his way up the ranks and be a success. You, you, you'd have been laughed out of the beautiful, oh, who cares about this kid? Bring Charles Leclerc in already. No, like, it's, it's, it, it, you would never have guessed that. But well done to Marcus and props to him because, you know, there's no reason why you can't carve a name for yourself out in another series and, and make it work for you. And that's exactly what he's done. And more props to him for that. You know, I'm, I'm glad that F1 is not in. being judged as the be-all and end-all anymore. Oh, yeah, he's put know. in an enormous amount of hard work to get to improve himself, to get to this point. Yeah. It's great that's to see because by all accounts, he's a good dude. Yeah, good dude, good driver. All-round likable guy, very humble as well, which is great to see as well. And yeah, like I said, just an all-round solid race car driver, which is what he probably should have always been. But unfortunately, the way F1 is, you know, you looked at a very narrow lens and sometimes nuance is lost amongst people in that sport. Ask Alex Rossi, I'll tell you all about that. Um, <laughs> Alex, man, Alex Rossi, who would kill for a podium right about now. When you're he would, when a top he would five run over finish, his own grandma for a top five. When a top five finish is the best thing you can get out of an Andretti car that isn't being driven by Colton Herta. Mm. Why? Andretti are a hot mess. Oh, man. RHR and Hinchcliffe getting into each other in the, fir- in, in the first quarter! Sums you up know, his season, it's really. The first, it's the first I've actually heard of it that there are major rumors swirling that Hinch has been driving with a pretty severe left leg injury. And kind of coping with it through the year. Ooh, I, was I, I was hope that the leg that got hurt soon. in twenty fifteen? I don't. I don't know off the top of my head, but I know it's, that uh, there is the right people are saying, "Yeah, he's competing injured," and I hope things get better soon. Yeah, because I don't want this, this to be the last memory of James no. Hinchcliffe in an Indy. No, no, the guy who. You know, pole sitter, pole sitter for the Indy 500, race winner, all around. You know, spokesman for the sport. Fantastic ambassador I, for the series. Yeah, I don't want to see this trajectory keep going the way it is. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, on the subject of veterans on a bad trajectory, what mm. was Will Power thinking, trying to kick up the tires over the crest of a blind curve? I don't know. Uh, he he must have thought he but he must have thought he was going to get the car pointed in the right direction a lot faster. He got a point. He was driving into a black hole. Ed, driving it right into Ed Jones' light sight. That's silly. Yeah, I still have no idea how Pagano got through the fucking the, the cloud of smoke that got triggered. Ah, uh, this was this was clumsy. No, it was. This was now disclaimer. I really, really didn't like Dixon's, what, four weaves on the straight leading up to this. Very naughty. Weaving in reaction. Mm-hmm. The letter of the law, maybe, but, yeah. 
the two of them showed absolutely no respect to each other, being Dixon and Power. Dixon hoodwinked and bamboozled and led astray Will Power twice <laughs> in the space of three corners. And it just feels like Power desperation lunged and spun himself out of the race. Yeah, he, he bounced off the curb and it was game over. It's a good thing yeah. he signed that contract extension early, folks. Yeah. He dived into a corner he was never going to make. Like, Not Dixon had every right to shut the door on him at that point in time. And, yeah, it was it was such a, a, a missed... You don't expect that from someone of Will Power's ilk um, at all. Like, you know, we all know he's an incredible race car driver, you know, high up there in polls and wins all time in, in the United States. He's an incredible driver. He's one of the greatest... American open wheel drivers we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and yet he's having a wretched season by his standards. Like oh. just some of it is luck, some of it is just OTT driving, and yeah. this was a case of really OTT driving. It's the old phrase: you can't win a race on lap one, but you sure as hell can lose it on lap one. Um, and I'm gonna uh, put this into perspective. He's only 11 points ahead of rookie Scott McLaughlin. Christ. Scott McLaughlin is, you know, he's having a good first season, given Penske's inconsistency this year. And mm. given that Willpower he's coming from tin tops to yeah. driving the cars. Series champion. Indianapolis 500 champion. He's going to break maybe, Mario Andretti's pole record. At some point, maybe. But... It feels like when it feels like when Will's back against the wall, he tends to desperation drive, and like he was quick enough throughout the weekend, he didn't need to just gung ho into that corner. Yeah, what you're seeing are like the like, flashes. It looked like a rookie the, error. It looks like the flashes of when Will Power was always the guy that couldn't close the deal on a championship because he was always folding in the last race. No, 2012 was a, especially cruel reminder of that when he had the Fontana race in the bag and then he just wrecked it on his own. Yeah. Willpower is better than what he displayed in in that move. Mm. And I expect better from a driver who we know is capable of extraordinary things behind the wheel of an Indy car. Oh yeah. That's not that is not good enough from him. Yeah, and he he'll he, know that. Dixon too. was right. Yeah, D Dixon was right to slam the door on him. Yeah, he was never going to make that move work. Yeah. Also, IndyCar, get it together with the consistency on these pens, because that was a blatant block on the straight from Dixon. It, it, wasn't. it wasn't. They ruled it. It it wasn't reactive. It was proactive. <sighs> he, he, he moved four That's times going line. down the straight. You're, there, yeah. there is no rule like that in IndyCar. You can move as many times as you want. Indeed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I thought... It's not a great look on the hard camera, but I guess we're all just filthy F1 fans. It's meant to tell you, you're out one block. IndyCar, yeah. weave, damn it! Uh, like, even in MotoGP, you can only move once. Like, we saw it with Joe Amir when he was in Moto3, like an episode of Ski Sunday. It was crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah. IndyCar are now on vacation. Um, they'll no. be on, they're on their mini break. They don't race in the month of July. They'll be back, uh, first weekend in August at some guys. Home state somewhere in Nashville, apparently. Um, <laughs> that should be fun, right? Right, RJ? <sighs> oh, ooh, is he? Is he uh -oh. disappeared there? <laughs> I think he has. He has. Oh. oh, I think 
He did put a thunderstorm emoji warning in about about, about ten yeah. minutes ago. That might have been what caused it. Um, no, no, what just finish, just, just finish the show. I was going to say, the thunderstorms yeah. dodged me. Yeah, somehow. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up real quick in the meantime. So yeah, like I said, IndyCar out for the month of, uh, of July. They'll be back, I think, on August 8th at Nashville on that one. Uh, Formula One will be back in a week and a half's time at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix on that one. So, uh, yeah, fellas, we've got a week off, kind of. Isn't that strange after all this condensed motorsport over the over the last... Well, well over the, the you last might be, uh, you might be, but, uh... Hey, hey <laughs> Can you hear us? Are we good? Yeah, I'm good. I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did I just hear thunder over your microphone? <laughs> yes. We're bringing the ambiance. We're... <laughs> the storm of the, a uh, lack of motorsports. Because, uh... The, uh, the gods are moving the furniture. Indeed. Uh, yeah. We'll be all right, but uh, yeah, we actually have a week off next week, kind of, sort of. Um, well, you guys might get one, but uh, there's a little race in New York that uh, oh, you might you oh. might catch uh, you might catch a couple of us at. I did forget about this. Yes, Florida E is it is it New York City this weekend, and uh, a certain someone's in attendance. Two of us will be in attendance for that one. Sadly, it's not me. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we'll sadly be on two opposite sides of a bubble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, King, King gets the credentials. He gets to be in his own bubble. The yeah. media bubble. Yeah. yeah, you had a schedule clear already, so that way when formally announced with 72 hours to go before the race weekend, that you could actually buy tickets, so that way you and your partner don't already Wait, make why? plans to go to the beach of Rhode Island. <laughs> Uh, buy tickets well thankfully the tickets which are already gone uh, went up for the low low price of free nothing so I guess uh, I guess I gotta figure out how to get to New York and uh, get my first slice of New York pizza I'm incredibly jealous of the fact you get to try many a New York slice over there gentlemen have a good one Um, I'm sure it'll be a great time um, I am extremely jealous of that. I, I get. I love the fact that there is a media bubble. So uh, Cam stuck with the plebs. Um, King gets the media center well, treatments. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! The I, I gotta leave to get food. It's, it's a hard life. Oh yeah. I, I, forgot, I remember King mentioned <laughs> oh, earlier. Poor, no poor King. <laughs> poor King. But the good thing is the grandstand is uh, right. Apparently, it's right across from the the uh, stewarding center. So if Porsche gets disqualified from another race, they know where a uh, certain slice of Sabaro pizza came from on their window. <laughs> we only Why throw por- buy only- Sabaro pizza. Yeah, we're, we only throw bad pizza. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's fair. don't waste good bad. pizza. You don't, don't waste good pizza. pizza. Don't waste good pizza. But we'll be back next week to talk Formula E in New York City. Hopefully, it'll be a fun one. We'll talk pizza. We'll talk electric motorsport, and hopefully, no one gets disqualified this time. Maybe. <laughs> We've had a few of those in Formula E this year, as it is. 
but places you can find us real quick uh, before we get out of here on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 or on facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 or on twitter and motorsport underscore 101 handles at Harrison 101 HD at Ryan Eric King at Steve Buckley 917 and at RJ O'Connell we're on Instagram at motorsport 101 pod website motorsport 101.com and you can back us financially on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 all the perks are on there as per always until next week I've been Andre Harrison they've been Ryan Eric King Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. And I just say, at the time of recording, Harry Kane has just scored to put England 2-1 up in the European semi-final in extra time. It's coming home! It is coming home! And here I was thinking I'd be the most smug person on the podcast. (laughs) Thanks for watching. Sayonara. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, King. That's the coming, King. (laughs) (laughs) this man just opened a code and screamed into it that is a vibe oh that's beautiful that's art right there that's that's beautiful way to go king way to go Uh. (laughs) I'm going through it (laughs) Raheem Sterling causing the rest of the planet to hate England even more love that yes